Welcome to the Von Nelson Podcast. With me today is CEO and CIO, Chris Wallace. Welcome, Chris. Thanks, Dan. Good to be here. Good to have you, Chris. And, and what amounts to looking at the calendar, probably our, our last podcast of the year. So um, as far as 2020 is gone, I think it's been uh, a, a big jump for us in this. And we certainly appreciate everyone that, that's been listening along uh, throughout the course of the year and looking forward to what brings us ahead in, in 2021. And hopefully we can continue to to bring forth, you know, Chris's thought leadership and, and the rest of, uh, of the likes with our portfolios in specific. So um, with that, Chris, let's, uh, let's hop right into it. And uh, let's talk a little bit about jobless again here. And as, as we're aggregating uh, federal and state initial jobless claims and the continuing claims, um, you know, what we're finding is the elevated trend remains in place. And continuing claims, you know, they have remained stubbornly strong at, at 5.8 million. Um, and that gets us to about 86% of the previous high water mark. And, and just for a frame of reference, um, for everyone listening here, that's about 6.6 million uh, continuing claims. And that was established during the financial crisis. So Congress you know, seems to be making progress on a stimulus bill. Um, and you know, while this bill seems to be a bit smaller than the original CARES Act, uh, do you think it's sufficient to continue the economic recovery? Yeah, it's encouraging that they've at least separated the larger bill into two different pieces to get rid of the contentious elements. So uh, the good news is, you know, weak, weekly jobless data is putting the appropriate pressure on congressmen uh, in order to move the bill forward. While it, the bill that's being proposed, whether it's $700 billion, the important thing is that checks are, are moving to households. And while it's good to see, it, I don't think it's sufficient I think it's necessary. Um, and what we really need to see is once we get the bill approved, we get the checks out the door, that may buy us, call it four to eight weeks. Uh, but as soon as we get a new administration uh, and a new Congress, we have to start work on a broader stimulus bill. It is just crystal clear, as you pointed out, these 5.8 million aren't temporary job losses anymore, they're permanent. And if we want to continue to sustain the recovery, and more importantly, uh, deal with the inequality issues, it's going to take a lot more fiscal stimulus. Um, and everybody knows that. And that's why we've had such a weak dollar of late and seem to be breaking through some of the downtrends there. So thinking about what's taking place here on, on a more of a, of a uh, macro basis on the geography, you know, we're starting to see an increasing discussion around harsher lockdowns in parts of the United States and throughout the rest of the world. Um, you know, at the, at the same time, the vaccine is being rushed into wider distribution. So how, you know, how are you thinking about the threat of further damage to the economy from the current surge in the virus uh, in the short term versus the benefits from a vaccinated population in the midterm? Yeah, you know, it, it's interesting. Clearly, as you get near the peak, it's, it's when things seem the worst. If you look at the data on a regional basis, the areas that were hit hardest first are already rolling over and improving. So, you know, initial case growth is coming down uh, and is starting to fall. Now, we don't know if that was, if it's just reflective of the surge that started in and around the Thanksgiving holidays. And, you know, that kind of pig in the python effect is going to roll over and then it will plateau at a higher level. Uh, I, I'm kind of in the camp that similar to the, the spike we saw in the spring and into the summer, that it's very seasonal depending on where you are in the United States and what the weather's like and how much you're outside versus inside. Um, and so if you follow those trends and those patterns, 
I think we're peaking right now. And so just when it looks kind of uh, darkest is when we're going to start to see the dawn. Um, and I think the market will be able to look through any lockdowns, again, to the extent that we see more stimulus. So even if we have some bickering back and forth in January, if we get this deal passed, that will buy us enough time. Certainly, if I'm wrong, and the peaking and improvement we've seen in data just plateaus or goes higher post uh, uh, the thing, uh, the Christmas holiday, um, then you know it, it may be a bigger issue. But right now, I think this this virus, for the most part, is going to be behind us in the next six or eight weeks. Uh, and I think that's purely due to seasonal factors. And then we will get the vaccine rolled out probably by late April, early May. The vast majority of the population will have access to a vaccine, which means, you know, the market only looks out the next four months. So it, it's starting to have pretty good visibility into an improved environment as it relates to the vaccine. We still got very significant issues in the real economy on the services side. Uh, and it's going to take uh, a lot of stimulus and a lot of financial support to restart that part of the economy. Well, that certainly would be encouraging, and, and I think that the market's starting to, you know, take that into into account. And you know, as, as the rally that we saw with the vaccine announcement continues to move the indices higher, um, and that rally really was marked by small caps, cyclicals, financials, um, companies that were severely impacted by the pandemic and lockdown, and we're starting to see, you know, downgrades of some of the short. Uh, leadership groups and, and discussion in the markets is, is a little bit overbought. So, you know, at, at the same time, you know, we've got this interesting dynamic starting to develop where the market rallies at the open. Uh, we're seeing it sell off at the close. Um, you know, are there other signs out there that the nature of the rally is, is changing? And do you think that it's time to fade the market leadership or do you think it's uh, time to prepare for a correction? Yeah. Uh, you know, as always, you never know when a, when a correction is coming. So uh, there aren't, I don't see the indicators that, would cause me to feel like we're getting ready to have a, a major correction. And I mean, over the next week or so. Um, part of that is the volatility improvement just continues. So when we look at the equity indices, the volatility across the equity market is continuing to fall, which is very supportive of the market leadership that we have in place. Uh, the nature of the rally is changing a bit. As you mentioned, you know, the Russell 2000 value in banks specifically uh, really led the rally. And, you know, while it was coincided with the vaccine news, it also coincided with a peaking in some of the worst hit areas of the of recent surge in the virus as well. So you kind of had a double tailwind to this rally. And while the Russell 2000 value just in the last week is, is starting to lose its leadership. We're starting to see the banks not keep up necessarily or lead the rally. Some days they keep up, other days they don't. And we're starting to see the most cyclical areas uh, start to give up some of that leadership strength that they had. You know, that could be as much a reflection of overbought conditions over the short term and not necessarily a full shift in leadership. But it's also important to remember that there was a rush, just a wall of capital that flowed into the momentum basket and large cap growth stocks. And that kind of peaked in the middle of September, and that's been a source of funds and the rotation out of those names into these oversold areas is what's kind of led to this rally recently. Now what we're starting to see is broader market participation, meaning 
we're starting to see tech and the NASDAQ also begin to outperform on up days or start to lead again. So that's indicating to me I, there's just more balance in the market that's starting to broaden out. Um, I do think we're going to see some potentially very interesting dynamics with Tesla moving into the S&P 500. Uh, there, it, it will change the nature of the way that stock trades, and that is a large component of, uh, I think, alpha for a lot of managers. When it wasn't in the index, they're able to hold Tesla and generate a lot of alpha because it wasn't a part of the S&P 500. Uh, once it moves in, the dynamics around that stock are going to change dramatically. You know, it, it's pretty clear that uh, the options market has been driving uh, Tesla higher throughout the year, and that's the primary driver. I know a lot of believers out there want to think it's fundamentals, but it, it really isn't. It's just market structure, um, and that's going to change, and that could have an impact over the short term, right? We're in very thin markets. The option markets have been the driver of the indices uh, throughout the year. We're going to go into an op option expiration period with a significant structural change in that index. So you may get some volatility there, and that's very short term, but it's not to me any indication that we're going to get a pullback. And then more importantly, when we look at the credit markets, because as we've always said, you know, volatility leads liquidity, um, and then which then can lead to uh, a more positive dynamic in the credit markets, which then will support equity prices, is that although we've seen volatility improve and fall for equities, it's actually been rising for treasuries, but not in a negative standpoint. It's rising for treasuries, and we're seeing higher lows in the treasury complex, really because we're at a point where you know growth is starting to accelerate, inflation starting to accelerate around the world. Because while treasuries and that vol's rising, indicating we may get a modest breakout in treasury yield spreads within the high-yield market have actually fallen quite dramatically to the point where, you know, you could see some refinancing with interest savings, stepped-up share buybacks, all of which would be positive. So I don't see anything right now that says a major correction is on the table. Certainly, as we flip the calendar, uh, cash flow dynamics can change. We may get a little volatility around Tesla moving into the S&P 500, um, but I, I'm not too nervous right now as far as where the market's going into year end. And, and I think that's a great place to, to, to round this conversation out is looking into year end and looking into more importantly 2021. And you know, it, it sounds like you're you know really quite positive, right? We're not seeing much in the way of, of market corrections. We've seen volatility across the equity markets tighten or, or fall. Um, we've seen broader market participation, even the credit markets, we're seeing spreads and high yield tightening. So, you know, all this, you know, sounds like we're, we're heading in, in the right direction here. Um, but, you know, are, as, we, as we roll into 2021, are there signposts that you're watching to gauge the strength of the economic recovery, as well as the nature of change in market leadership? And um, I, I think maybe the classic one we should be, be asking here is, you know, are we finally witnessing a shift uh, to value leadership? Yeah, uh, let me start with the last point in the shift to value leadership, and, and we really need to describe it as a shift into cyclicals and commodities and hopefully a higher inflation environment only because it allows us to avoid deflation, not that inflation is a positive, but it's, it's modest inflation is better than deflation, which should steepen the curve and then benefit financials. And financials and commodity cyclicals are now dominating the, the value style box. Um, I think we've begun the transition to more cyclical and value leadership. 
Um, I think we began that, tr that, that transition because we've been in extended secular decline in commodity prices, and that's pulled capital out of that market, and that's the setup for recovery. But more importantly, we have finally exhausted the use of monetary policy to support the economy. Um, it, it's just not, uh, you know, it, it just doesn't have the same power it did. You know, anecdotally, you know, in, in 2008, you know, maybe $20,000 generated $1,000 of interest income for a saver, and today you need over $800,000 to generate that $1,000 of interest. So, you know, we've exhausted monetary policy, which then means we have to rely on fiscal policy, and because of the structural deficits, it's going to be fiscal policy with financial support through um, reserve printing, uh, not necessarily money printing, but ultimately it's going to get, get into the real economy. And so that just means it's an MMT light environment. That means it's a different, potentially a different inflationary environment. So those combination of forces, I think, begin the transition. These transitions take years. And so we'll bounce along the bottom. Um, if we are able to get traction, just think about it, you know, a 2 to 3% inflationary environment means a real reset in the asset markets, right? Credit is horribly priced for that environment. Uh, you know, there's going to be real losses in parts of that market. And the pools of capital in, in the treasury market and in the credit markets, investment grade and high yield markets are so large relative to where capital is going to be treated well, which is going to be small caps, less liquid areas, commodities, cyclicals, it's going to be difficult for the, for the capital to flow out of the areas that are going to be hurt and into the areas that are going to be benefited. So it's going to come with a lot of volatility. It probably comes with market drawdowns. Typically, when we see these big leadership changes, it occurs within a big drawdown, just like the pandemic accelerated it because it forced us to start relying heavily on fiscal policy. Uh, so it won't be a smooth transition. I think it's one we began. Uh, we've got to probably in 2021 at some point recognize it's going to take a lot more fiscal support. And so, again, that comes potentially with pain and, and lessons learned before Congress begins to act. So I think we've begun that transition, but I think it's going to take some time before that value leadership really takes the mantle and runs with it. Um, and my guess is it benefits uh, international stocks from a, a U.S. domestic investor standpoint more so than, than U.S. stocks. Um, as it relates to the shorter term, let's say it, you know, through the first two quarters, um, you know, I think what's really interesting is uh, the German stock market starting to outperform. We've seen the German boom and JGB yields uh, begin to put in uh, higher lows. And more importantly, as we reinstituted lockdowns, uh, the German boom didn't put in a lower low. So, again, it's just more reflective of this broadening theme of broadening growth. And if we can get Europe to kick in as well into the first, maybe potentially second quarter of 2021, we're going to be in this period of rising inflationary uh, pressures. Again, nothing scary people like to think about, but just moving up a little higher inflationary expectations, a little higher growth ex expectations, which should be supportive. So I'm kind of trying to keep a pulse on, on those indicators. The other thing that's worth watching is China. China's kind of led this reflationary effort, not unlike what we experienced in 2016. 
I know we had some China data out this week uh, showing that consumer spending had bounced back. I think people need to temper their expectations. A lot of that improvement was because they revised prior year data, so it looked like a, a, a larger improvement than what it actually was this year. And also keep in mind they're, they're trying to rebalance that economy. And in doing so, just given their demographics, um, it does rely on a larger state or public sector in order to support the consumption. So their recovery has been led by production. Consumption has been too weak to lead the recovery. And now as they try to balance out, it won't be the private sector that consumes. It's going to be the public sector. So that obviously has implications as well. We've already seen a potential peaking in the credit impulse and liquidity impulse in China. Uh, what that does mean, it doesn't mean things roll over right away, but it means, hey, six months from now, uh, if we don't see further stimulus within China, then we're going to start to see uh, some impacts on, on the markets. You know, specifically, I would look at copper, I would look at oil, uh, potentially iron ore or steel, which have been very strong in, in the back half of this year. A lot of that's been built by China rebuilding inventories. And so they've taken advantage of the low price. Uh, they are trying to address structural imbalances within supply chains where they had to draw down inventories. They're trying to build those inventories back up. So people may be overly focused on Dr. Copper um, and on some of the ramp up in industrial metals. And I suspect as we get into the second half of 2021, those areas could potentially come under severe pressure. Now, again, that just goes to this dynamic of cyclicals lead. We're still going through a basing and adjustment. Then they give up leadership. Then growth can pick back up. But again, it's all on this basing and transition to broader leadership. That's kind of some of the things we're watching. Um, but everything that we see right now would say, eh, you know, going into 2021 in the first quarter, we should be in, in fairly good shape. But again, we need to see the data to see. Um, if those trends will, will remain intact really through May. Okay. Well, I'll tell you what, if we, if we can lead off 2021 in, in what we call a fairly good shape, I think that's a, that's a win for everybody. So um, well, let's leave it there. Well, thank you very much, Chris. It's been a, it's been a great year. Um, certainly enjoyed all of our conversations and appreciate all the time that you've taken out for, for myself and for our listeners. And um, very much looking forward to connecting again in the beginning of January. So we'll be back in a couple of weeks, and hopefully uh, things will have held together between now and the end of the year. And we'll, uh, we'll catch you again in 2021. Thanks, Chris. Yeah, sounds good, Dan. The views, information, and or opinions expressed during this podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of Von Nelson and its employees. Von Nelson does not verify and assumes no responsibility for the accuracy of any of the information contained in the podcast. The primary purpose of the information, opinions, and thoughts presented in this podcast is to educate and inform. This podcast, or any podcast in the series, does not constitute professional investment advice or services, and any reliance on the information provided is done at your own risk. Past performance is not an indication of future performance. By accessing this podcast, you acknowledge that the entire contents of this podcast are the property of Von Nelson or used by Von Nelson with permission and are protected under U.S. copyright and trademark laws.